Welcome to episode 183 of Saturday Football Uncensored, brought to you by Saturday Down South. On today's episode, we preview the Big 12 with a few special guests, including Eddie Radisovic. We talk more about conference realignment, KJ Bolden's big college decision. We spin the wheelie Taggart to take another Saturday road trip. We finish up with some Uncensored Moment of the Week. You can find this show on our website, SaturdayDownSouth.com and Apple and Spotify. During the season, join us for the live recording of the show every Sunday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on the Saturday Down South YouTube page. You can find clips from the show on Twitter at SatDownSouth and at SatFBUncensored on Instagram and TikTok at SaturdayDownSouth. Find us on our YouTube page at SaturdayDownSouth. Now, here's the show. Welcome back to another episode of Saturday Football Uncensored, brought to you by Saturday Down South. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me as always, my co-host, my partner in crime, Chris Marler. Chris, do you follow recruiting at all? Um, Let me sum up my answer with a song, if you don't mind. Okay. It's actually not, it's not even like a song, it's just a bunch of vowels, like Creed, but more okay. indigenous. Oh, 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 suck it, Georgia. Suck it, Auburn. <laughs> Go Knowles. Hey, look, man. Number one safety in the country, right out of Gwinnett County in the footsteps, I guess, of Athens <laughs> within footsteps. AJ Bolden. I would not footsteps. Probably probably more like like tire yeah. tire treads. Yeah, I got you. You know what I mean? Yeah. KJ Bolden from Buford High School, Buford, Georgia, number one safety in the country, top 10 player overall, commits to Florida State last night in front of a bunch of friends, family, future teammates, current teammates. I just had to throw it in there. A lot of salt coming from the Georgia crowd. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in KJ Bolden's uh, mentions talking about how this, yeah. that, and the other, and... Uh, Rumors on message boards about how, you know, apparently KJ committed to the UGA staff on Friday night and reconfirmed that commitment mm-hmm. on Saturday. But then Florida State's NIL team came in and doubled the NIL deal at noon. Yeah. And, you know, it was just too much. So... He called Kirby on the phone, crying. He was in tears, bawling his eyes out. That did not, no one said that. Well, it, it did, to, to be, did to be truthful... Uh, he did say at the end of his message board post, don't know how true this rumor is, but at least know he called the staff to let them know that he wasn't coming. Okay, so he, this whole thing, Thank one you. congratulations, Thank it's awesome. I, I found out like probably two hours beforehand that it was going to be Florida State from somebody that's close to the George situation. Love that person to death. Does a great job. When he originally told me what his take on it was, and it was like not that, like, can you take us off this thing? What are you doing? We oh, I'm just it. gonna while we talk about um, it, I was just gonna play some some video, some highlight. Yeah, yeah that's fine. So, so when he he first <laughs> when he first brought it up, he was like, "Yeah, man, uh, he wants to go to Georgia." And I, to be fair, <laughs> I heard Georgia for a while. Yeah, I think that was the like, assumption. And it's it's in 
Yeah, and he was he's from Buford. They've got a loaded class. Everyone kept talking about how the class is only going to get bigger and better and deeper and all that kind of stuff. That being said, it did not. And what I was told was, um, uh, sorry, hold on. Um, so, Nothing like a little ADD on a Sunday. So, so like. Nothing like a little ADD on a Sunday. I Listen, man. Tuesday is going to be day 100, no Adderall. And I feel good, fucking good. great. Um, yeah. So anyway, so so then like when, when he was telling me about it, he was like, you know, what the rumor was. I'm not saying this person said that. I'm not going to tell you who, who it was. Um, but his whole thing was like his dad is kind of like, like a handler. And we've seen that in the yeah. past. We've seen that in the past, right? Like. Cam Akers, when he went to Florida State, I heard that, that like his uncle was shopping him for like a like a mill, um, whatever. Like I, I, but like here's the thing: it's NIL era, so everyone is able to do this. There's no cheating right. anymore. Like I saw it earlier in the day with South Carolina fans upset at, at Auburn and Hugh Freeze. There's no there's no room for these excuses anymore. So all this shit that all these fans will say. About how well, the Saban's buying Dodge Chargers and so and so, like all that's done, all that's done, and it's an incredible job by Mike Norvell. I will. I'm very excited for you because it's a huge get. Like this, this is the kind of stuff too that like starts to shape the the program when it starts to make a turn. You you hope right um, is like five star because this kid's been according to his that's Parkview, according to his uh his. Coach, he's been like an All-American since eighth grade, which leads me to my next favorite part of this whole thing. I I haven't watched a commitment, like a non-signing day commitment, in forever. And I I remember watching, like, I think the last one I really remember watching was like Drake Kirkpatrick's, right? And it was, I forgot how funny it is to watch the comments under a high school football kid's commit, like a live live thing. Because when Drake Kirkpatrick committed... It was him and Jarrell Harris went to the same school, and there was somebody else there, and they didn't realize their mic was still turned on, so you could hear what they were saying the whole time, like on the feed. They haven't, they just hadn't started announcing to the auditorium yet, and so there was people. They were saying shit like, you know, like it's like you gonna you gonna smoke after this, <laughs> and I was like, please God say no, please God say no, and he was like, um, he was like, no, I don't do that anymore. I was like, thank God, and then like within like a half second, he goes, but I am gonna find some pussy, and I was like, Whoa. oh my God, what's happening right now? Stop. So, so that whole thing, like I'm watching that, that all happen and unfold in real time. And they're like, they're going over his accolades and they're going, he was a eighth grade, all American. And you, the first thing I see is somebody on the right goes, nobody gives a fuck about what you did in eighth grade, KJ. <laughs> hey, you got to throw it on the highlight reel. Anyway, really, you know? back to the butter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, um, I'm seeing a lot of like, he was bought. L- listen, I think what a lot of people aren't listening to the interviews that this kid's been doing for the last two years which and he's been putting on his social media like he's been going to florida state camp since he was in middle school yeah. he's a diehard florida state fan um yeah you got the two uh, whether you know we play madden at this point or not like madden is a huge game in like just the culture of football the two top rated dbs in the yeah. game both went to florida state like the kid wanted to be a part of that legacy and he's been dreaming about doing it since he yeah. was a kid. And yeah, Florida State's NIL game is strong, which is a great thing to say. But again, as you yeah. as you mentioned, it's a legitimate part and a part that you've got to have right to be a successful program. 
I'm just super excited that um, and look, this kid hasn't signed yet, and I've, I'm very well aware that Georgia yeah, is going to still put the put the heat on him, and he's going to go to Georgia games this fall, and we'll see. But mm-hmm. you announced to the college football world that you're not playing games anymore, and what comes to spending money and being all in on making football yep. a priority, which is a great refreshing thing. After Jimbo basically left you at the altar because you weren't committed to to this level of recruiting and this level of resources and so um yeah, yeah man they got a top Jimbo would have had this kid playing fucking offensive line <laughs> yeah, by year three right. um so just a just a, a a huge recruitment obviously the number one safety in the country and i think to your point it was starting to leak out that he was gonna go to florida state but i think a lot of people were surprised that he ultimately ended up there so I had to throw it on the beginning of the show yeah i think the the responses were like typical but still funny yeah. Because, like, here's the thing. And Georgia fans, hear me out. Like, I, you know that we praise this program all the time. And I want to reiterate this, too, before we get into the season, because I think this is something people forget. I realized this even, like, just a couple of months ago. We do make – I do make fun of Georgia fans and the fan base a lot because of the fans on social media that I am interacting with more than I should. That does not mean we don't respect the program. I'm not shitting on – I – I don't know the last negative thing I've said about Georgia's football program in in life, not just this pod, but in life, right? Yeah, well, like, what could you say? I mean. So, yeah, exactly. They they are they are the they are the mountaintop. Um, one thing that I did really like about this, though, and I think Georgia fans, if you take a step back and be objective about it, like it, two parts. One, you don't really need them. You, do, I mean, it's always great to have another five star and all that kind of stuff, um, and. I hold on. Um, it's always great to have another five star, all that kind of stuff, but you don't really need them. And and you know that they're going to go out and get somebody else. And, and and Kirby is going to still go after this kid even and all that kind of stuff. But I will say as a fan of college football in the ever changing landscape of what we're watching, it was really refreshing to see a kid who is elite talented, right? like unbelievably elitely talented. If that's a way to, if that's a word, um, go to his favorite school. That was his dream school growing up. Because with everything that's changing and the rivalries and the, and the landscape, like I said, and the conference realignment and all that kind of shit, it's cool to see a kid that's not purely driven, and I don't care what Georgia fans said, not purely driven by NIL. And the fact that he wanted to go to Florida State and like has been a Florida State fan his whole life, which I believe that way more than I was going to commit to Georgia. And I told him, he, would say, he said he was going to commit to Auburn like <laughs> last week. Like he was like, if, if I had to commit today, I'd probably be at Auburn. The kid went where he wanted to go. Be happy for them, see, and, and be happy for Florida State. It's a non-threatening program to your school, right? You know what I mean? It's not if it was Auburn or Bama, like it's totally different. Until Florida State's in the SEC in two years, um, <laughs> uh, conference realignment. It feels like, dude, we record this podcast twice a week, and it seems like every time we record, there's new yeah. information about uh, like a new team and a new conference. And if you, at this point, dude, I just gotta say it, man. RIP to the to the Pac-12 because it's basically completely it's, it's done, done at this point. Yeah, um, we 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 actually talked about this on Wednesday, the last episode, right? What are you bringing up? Oh, boy. I don't <laughs> like that. This is it's so zoomed in on his mouth. This is just a. To be an ode 
to the Pac-12 after dark. Yeah. Um, look, there's nothing like so that part sucks. There's nothing like watching your team, you know, win a 7:30 game. You're a little liquored up, full of confidence. Maybe your bets haven't gone well all day, and you you look at the guide and you see a 10:30 ESPN two game, Arizona State USC, and you're thinking, by God, that total is just too low. It's too low. Did I say? Does that say sixty-three? No chance. Maybe by half. Maybe by right. halftime it will be. Also, take this right. off the screen. And like this guy, do do the trumpeters usually play with only one hand, or is that like is he like a fucking I don't boss? Know, dude? We got major thunder going on at the house right now, so I we pray I don't lose fun. internet. Yeah, that'd be bad. Um, okay, so the the Pac-12 thing. What was weird about this was that like you brought it up. We've been talking about realignment nonstop, and it's been so annoying. It's like because it's it's like we it's a perfect off season fodder type thing, right? But I I remember saying this to you last week. It was like I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of leading off the shows. We're trying to tired of speculating, but it's all happening. It, it like it, it's legit all yep. happening now. And when this first broke, and they they said that Oregon and Washington back up a second. Who the person who originally broke this news was fucking Brutus the Buckeye. The, the mascot for Ohio State, because like a week and a half ago, he posted some picture on Instagram where they posted where he's arm in arm with Puddles, the duck from Oregon, which is hilarious. That's a, that's up there with the Jimbo is, Christmas tree situation. Like that's that's really good. Um, but then you talk about how they're going to go with Oregon and Washington, which I think is a good fit. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. I, I get that that's where they're going. Now you've got 18 teams. And then you're looking at it, you're like, okay. Because the Pac-12 said they were like for a minute, they they – they, you thought they were going to fight back, and they talked about how they were going to get a new, you know, grant of rights or whatever it is, and they they were trying to work on the TV deal. The TV deal they were talking about was only going to be like twenty million per school, which is crazy yeah. low, like really low. Um, and it was going to be only streaming, which is like, fuck, dude, just put it on CSS or something. Right. Like I, that is awful. And so then then they said, you know, like like. No, Oregon and Washington have been they they've accepted it, and like they are going to the Big Ten. They've been accepting the Big Ten, and so then they started about the big like the next news is the Big Twelve is trying to expand. And I was like, oh my god! So surely someone's going to snatch up Oregon State, like the football program on the rise. Went to an Elite Eight in basketball two years ago. Has a baseball team that's a perennial powerhouse. Has won multiple national championships in the last five six years, or at least played for them. And they're left out in the cold. Hate to see it. And then you, the Big Twelve announces they're going to get they they add a sixteenth team, and they are now the third best conference or deepest conference. That, like they made some moves, man. Well, it's it's crazy. To look, and then you, obviously you had Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah jump to the Big Twelve. So literally, the the pack. What what does the Pac twelve have now? Like five teams, and these like this is all happening next year too, Four. right? So, because right. there is no grant of yeah. rights. No, as of 2024, four total teams. Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and... Washington State? Yeah. Washington State. So, yeah. dude, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen to them. They're done. Like, the other option is you could... Here, here's one thing that did bother you about the Pac-12. Is that, like, as you and I have said, like, traditionalist-type fans of college football love the Rose Bowl 
Pac-12 after dark is like a it's like a last decade and a half type yeah. thing, but it's still awesome. Love seeing USC, like you know, going out seeing puddles out there, like coming out on the the, the motorcycle at like a six a.m. game day out there. Like there, it's it's a fun conference, and it's the conference of champions. It's the D. Here's what's so crazy about the football part of it is that football is driving all of this. But Stanford, year in, year out, is the most decorated and accomplished athletic department, top to bottom, in the whole country. And they're fucking nowhere to be found. Because their football team their football team hasn't been able to perform in the last decade. And so it's just that part is crazy. The part with the Big 12 becoming like a major player, I didn't think that was ever going to see that. Um, but I will also say this, before I talk about the Big 10, or we talk about the Big 10 part of it, one of the bigger takeaways I had from this was just a, a reaffirming of something that we have both known and have said on this podcast ad nauseum. When you go out and you get not only the four best programs and most profitable programs in the Pac-12, but also four of the original eight members of that conference that's been around for over 100 years, the, all four of those teams that they got had been in that conference since 1922. So this would be the 101st year they've competed in there. The Big Ten went and got them just three years after they tried to sidle up with them, form an alliance, try to help, like, try to have them help their cause to cancel football season. The reaffirming of, of Kevin Warren being just the biggest fucking bag of shit on the planet is just, it's just right here in front of us all over. It is kind of sad to see that the, well, it is the oldest conference, right? It's, yeah. it's sad that it just dissolved in about a week. I mean, these things are happening fast, man. It's it's and like I don't I don't want it to be a, a Florida State centric opening, but I mean if you if you people honestly believe that Florida State is like trying to make these moves without a landing spot, like you think that Florida State's brand right. and, and like people like why don't you just win the ACC for once? It's like okay, yeah, okay. So you're telling me that you're like five years old then, because if you don't know anything about the history right. of college football, it's one of the top 10 biggest brands in the sport. It doesn't matter what's happened in the last five years. We're talking about, and, and by the right. way, they're still the most watched program in the ACC by far on television, even though they've been one of the worst teams in the conference. So yeah. uh, look, I mean, this is the SEC is going to have to make a move here. They're going to have to go pull Clemson and four state. Okay, so let's talk about that. I want to hear your thoughts on it first because I have I have two thoughts on it, and one of them I said as a joke, but I'm me being fucking petty Labelle and petty wop and like all and the like, petty pun. There's a very real part of me that's like, you know what? Fuck the Big Ten. Go out and get Georgia Tech, Tulane, Swanee, and whoever <laughs> the other one was. Just make the original SEC. Make the make those your twentieth teams. And then just come back and be like, and by the way, we're still only playing eight conference games. Suck our dick. That's too much. I shouldn't say that. But you know what I mean. Uh, no, I mean, um, no, I, I think I think the I think the SEC like it's been talked about in Florida State circles, but um Feinbaum has interestingly yeah. changed his tune on Florida State joining the SEC as if almost as if someone in the conference said, Hey man, you need to stop diminishing this possibility because this right. is a very real thing. Where do you think they end up? And what's up with all the, the alliances they formed with, with seemingly Al Qaeda <laughs> when I've gathered on Twitter? So, what is that about? So <laughs> they, um, they are raising 
private equity money. So they're basically you're in finance, right, Chris? You know private equity. <laughs> I work in finance and um, sports. There there's investment groups that if Florida State can't find its way out of the ACC grant of rights, which is a very supposedly ironclad contract, then they have a second option, yeah. which is they are raising money from outside, and maybe maybe it's Saudi money, and mm-hmm. that's the rumor, and that's what everyone's making uh, jokes about, is going to be there to negotiate a buyout of the greater rights for a large sum yeah. of money. And they'll make up the revenue on the back end on their new conference. And so that's why it's just funny to me that everyone's like, well, they're doing all this without a plan. It's like, do you think that they're honestly doing this without a plan? Do you think that a private equity money no. would come in and give you millions of dollars if you didn't have something pretty much in writing from the SEC or the Big Ten saying this is going right. to happen once we leave? So I I think that the I think that we talked a little bit about it last week. I think more than ever now you could kind of make the the case and it's, it seems pretty clear. I think, I think those two teams are going to be the next group, right? Like you want to go get Florida state and Clemson. Miami would also be in there. I still say the big 10 goes out and gets Miami. It makes the most sense. And and also let's keep this in mind too. I just thought about this too. After the last episode playing those games at Miami in that stadium, that's not an SEC atmosphere. That's, that is, that's not even a Vandy atmosphere. It really isn't, man. That that is, and I think that's something that if you talk about what the SEC wants to do, you're not going to go beat your head against the wall trying to make like a you know a fan base care about joining this conference. And and if anything I know about Miami fans, it's that they're entitled and they still don't get the fact that they actually should be going to these games and supporting the team or whatever. It, it like it, that hasn't changed no matter how good they've been. Like I, I haven't seen that in the last in the last twenty years. But what I was originally going to say was. I think that those two teams, Florida State and Clemson, are next. And if you're the SEC, you need to go out and probably get them, right? But I think Florida State is the driving force in that group. It, like I, I understand that Clemson's won all the last however many you know conference titles and, and games between them and all that kind of stuff. But it, it really does seem like Florida State is the program, especially top to bottom and the market. Nobody gives a fuck about whatever market Clemson is. You're trying to get the Anderson, South Carolina TV market? Like – it, I think Florida State is the driver. Yeah, and they've clearly it. established themselves as the program that's willing to be the villain in this case, and because everyone, you know, everyone's taking their yeah. shots now within the ACC. Like, well, you know, why don't you just go ahead and leave then? You can't even win the conference. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll leave, and then your your conference will sink if if just us left. Yeah. Um So, anyways, it, this is happening fast again. Key date August fifteenth. So basically, next week. If Florida State doesn't announce something, they're going to be in the ACC for at least an additional year. Um, but uh, okay. all right, should we spin Willie Taggart here? To- well, hold on, real quick. One one last thing about this, and in, in regards to my one of our favorite things about college football. Okay, there was a poll that Brandon Marcello did, and I think this is a really good point. And let's also talk about what, what Eli Drinkowitz said, like about how all this is affecting student athlete. The saddest part in all this, and it's exciting because it's changing and blah, 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 and you can, we don't know what it's going to be, if it's going to be good or bad for the sport. But Brandon Marcello ran a, a poll the other day, and it was like, who won the conference? Who, like, who did this benefit the most? And it was like the schools, the players, the fans, the TV rights, whatever, right? Or the conferences. And the fans were at 4%. And if you talk to some people, I know like Matt Moscona, I love him to death, the guy from ESPN Baton Rouge. He thinks yeah. this is great for the sport. 
It's not, in my opinion, because it's the NFL. We've already seen this with the NFL. But that being said, the saddest part in all this is something I read today from Jim Weber um, on Twitter, that the Rose Bowl is a part of this year's college football playoff, which means we have already seen the very last Pac-12, Big Ten, traditional Rose Bowl in our lifetime. It's done. Oh, that is sad. It happened last year. Yeah. But silver lining here. If you are trying to like win fans back, because you're going to lose a bunch, I think, like with how this is, because you don't want to see, why would I want to watch the same thing with lesser execution and lesser athletes that I'm going to watch on Sunday, right? It's the exact same format. Just go ahead and do it like people like Josh Pate have been saying for, for a while and make the Rose Bowl the permanent home for the national championship every fucking year and have that have some bit of tradition and like, pastime and history and like nostalgia that we all love and like do that for the fans i think that would go a long yeah i love that i mean what every other game is in an nfl stadium right Right. so yeah that'll be awesome i mean i think all of them are to be honest except for the rose bowl oh i I thought you're saying every other like yeah no just any like like, whatever's on the slate you know for all the playoff games they're all going to be nfl stadiums um, you want to talk about what Drinkwitz said real quick? Before yeah, the sure. Wheel. We don't have go to ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, um, Eli Drinkwitz caught uh, a little bit of heat, but the people he caught the heat from were idiots. Okay. Um, he made a point yesterday in his post-practice uh, press conference, and. I'm trying to pull it up right now because I know SEC Mike tweeted it. Um, and you could tell he didn't want to say it. You could tell he was he was like debating whether it should come out of his mouth or not. Because he's a guy that got dragged a while back for making very objective and true statements about the NIL. And, and we've said it here on the podcast before, and it drives me crazy. But there's this weird notion from certain people that if you make a lot of money, you're not allowed to have an opinion. Or like if you have been in a position that in the past, not even now, in the past, that might have benefited from a current system, you're not allowed to have an opinion. So Eli Drinkwitz came out and he, he had, I saw a couple people that like made this very dumb, shitty remarks about it. Like, like he's like, you know, he's a hypocrite. He's left, he's left everywhere. He's gone for two years. That is one of the dumbest things imaginable. What he said yesterday was, he said, I thought the transfer window, I thought the portal was closed. He said, oh, that's just for student-athletes. The adults in the room get to do whatever they want, apparently. My question is this. Did we count the cost? I'm not talking about the financial cost. I'm talking about did we count the cost for the student-athletes involved in this decision? What cost is it to those student-athletes? We're talking about a football decision they based it on football. But what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross-country? Did we ask about the cost to them? Do we know what the number one indicator or symptom or of or cause of mental health issues is? It's lack of rest and sleep, and confirmed. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, those people, they travel commercial. They get done playing. They got to go to the airport. They got to get back three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, do we ask any of them? Tyler, I thought that was one of the best points anyone has made. And, and a pretty glaring, like, blatant mistake. And, and like, calling out of, of like, the, like you said, the adults in the room. All of this has changed. I, we make jokes about how it's like, how the fuck are they going to pay for 
a trip on from West Virginia to TCU for a Wednesday night volleyball game. How is that going to make any money? It's not. And now you're talking about like Rutgers to, to fucking Seattle for like what a soccer game on a Tuesday night. Like, it, like how do you pay for all that? And like, and then who's it really impacting? The ki- we built this entire system on these kids' backs. We finally gave them some money with NIL, and then it seems like we just went right back into, hey, we can make so much more money if we if we just had this land grab and grab all this different stuff. And no one took into account the fact that these kids are the ones that it's going to affect the most because no one gives a shit, even now with NIL, about those kids. No, it is a great point, but here's a newsflash to Coach Drinkwitz and you. They don't care about the kids. They care about money. No, they don't yeah. fucking kids. It's, it's Michael Jordan. Now, man. I think what you're going to eventually see if we get to the point that we've been predicting on this podcast for the last two years, which is there's going to be two massive mm-hmm. conferences, kind of like the NFL, AFC, NFC. Right. They're going to have to set it up divisionally where you play a lot of games like against people in your division that are closer. And they're, the divisions are going to have to be set up regionally. You know what I'm saying? Like, have to be. But yeah, I mean, th- th- this is this is a totally new world that we're gonna have to figure out. Well, not us. We're not gonna have to figure it out. We're gonna we're gonna cover it, but they're gonna have to figure out how to make it all work and make it a- appeasing at- to the fans. And and hopefully they don't get blinded too much. But by they're money. you know they're not. The ads are gonna be the ones to figure it out. The scheduling and all that. I mean, th- think about that. Like like. Think about who at some point the football part of it is going to go away. And you got to look at like, you know, Tyler, these ADs and TV contracts, they can talk all the shit they want Monday through Friday. Okay. But on Saturday at three 30, they're going to have to fly that plane and get on Expedia. They're going to have to fly that plane out to Portland, Oregon. They're going to have to fly that fucking plane. (laughs) But like, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it is so. It, it's so much for those kids to have to be involved in, and I hate I, I hate that part. You know who made a really good point about it today it was Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino made the point. He's like, if this is I I just hear me out because I understand how it sounded coming out of my mouth. But like Rick Pitino made the comment that was like, "Hey man, uh, what if if all this is being driven by?" He didn't start his statement by "Hey man," just so you know. But it's like if all of this is being driven by football, why? Why are we not just separating football like, out? Like what? What? Just separate football and then keep the rivalries in these other sports like basketball and baseball and whatever else because those are still important to the game. I think when he said it, everybody was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's a really good point." So anyway, we shall see. What do we got here? So I know we said Wheelie Taggart, but should we get into our Big Ten preview before? Our interview with Kyle Umlong at Big eight. Big twelve, you mean? Big That's, ten. What did I say? No, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the the Big Twelve. Um, we'll save the two big teams for the end. Um, we're not going to get we're not going to dive heavily into every single team and and all that. But we just wanted to talk about win totals, a little bit about a couple teams in the Big Twelve before yeah. we talk about the Big Two in Texas and Oklahoma, who are the two favorites for the conference this year where do you want to start tcu 13 and 2 last year i mean they were in the national championship game so maybe we start there um 
Yeah, that's fine. I think that they they're a team that's being used, I think, as probably a little bit unfairly, but also like a why not us type situation for teams across the country. Cause it's a, it's a program that went five and seven the year before they have a first year head coach. They go, I believe they went 12 and Oh, didn't they? Didn't they lose in the yep. big 12 championship, but they went 12 and Oh, and then still got in yeah. to the playoff. Right. So I, I think an incredible season, they beat a bunch of ranked teams. Um, they have really done a good job in the portal. Right. And and then like we talked a little bit about last week, like you get, um, what's his name, Bryles as your yep. as your new OC. Like what I mean, what are your thoughts? You're you're more familiar with Kendall Bryles than I am, um, but like what are your thoughts? Um, it sounds like Bryles is a perfect fit and what Sonny Dykes is trying to do. So he's come out, Dykes has come out and said yeah. that. Um, they lose a lot of production on offense though, man. You know, Max Duggan, Kendra Miller, Quentin Johnson, their top two O linemen. Um. I think they're a big regression candidate this year. And it, it reflects obviously in their mm-hmm. win total seven and a half. Um, but they had, they lost eight players to the draft. They had eight draft picks off the team. Um, they do bring in Trey Sanders and Jojo Earl from Bama who are both expected to be starters. Um, yeah. So I do like that aspect of it. I think the on offense, they're going to be fine under Kendall Bryles. And of course, Sonny Dykes on defense, they have the best secondary in the Big 12, but their D-line isn't very good. They were here's the thing of that why they're a big regression candidate. They were like 5 and 1 or something like that, 5 and 0 oh in one-score games last year. And that's something yeah. that I just I don't know, man. Like that's not repeatable. So I think the yeah. win total of 7 and a half is a good number. I probably wouldn't bet this in my real life cuz there's just too much turnover on offense to really get behind it but right. i'll take for the purpose of the pot i'll take the over on the seven and a half but barely like eight games okay i wouldn't touch it but i will tell you the same same colors i had a real hard time with this last year i think when i made those matchup graphics i think i mixed up tcu and kansas yeah. state like repeatedly um now so here's the thing uh i'm big on returning starters and i think that's probably in a day and age that football now that's not as important right because you have the transfer portal and you get experience and all that kind of shit TCU returns 10 total starters and only three on offense. We saw in the national championship game, we saw in the cultural playoff in general, that defense had some, some really weak yeah. points to it. They were giving up a lot of points at times. Um, Kansas state returns eight offensive starters. Uh, and I think this player counts towards that. You obviously lose yep. two's Vaughn, right? It's a big loss. Um, you lose Adrian Martinez which I don't think is a big deal because Will Howard was really good. I think he won the starting job, I think, at the start of the year, and he got injured or something weird like that, and then he came back. Uh, or This actually might be TCU. I don't fucking know at this point. Um, but Will Howard, I think, as a kid, his numbers were really good at times last year. And I know what happened to them against Alabama in the bowl game. They got their ass kicked. Um, fine. I mean, a lot of people get their ass kicked when they play Alabama, no matter what you hear on Twitter. But Will Howard coming back after like you know still being like a pretty pretty young player and going in that schedule, part time starter, fifteen touchdowns, four interceptions. If it wasn't for Quinn Ewers, I this would probably be my pick for breakout player of the year in the conference is Will nice. Howard. And they returned eight starters on offense from an offense that was already they were Big 12, 12 champs a year ago. I think they could probably 
probably makes them. Yeah, they're the other thing is they have their top eight O linemen back, and they might have the best uh, O line in the Big Twelve. Um, yeah, they do lose Deuce Vaughn. Two wide receivers out of their top three are gone as well. They lose their top pass rusher to the NFL, who's a first round pick. They lost three starters from their secondary, which I think is going to be their weakness. I'm not really worried about them on offense. Deuce Vaughn was a really good player, but they did get Treshawn Ward to transfer him from Florida State at running back. He's a really good back. Um, Love the kid. He's a great story. He was a former walk-on at Florida State that ended up being a really reliable runner for them the last two years, and I think it's a great pickup for Kansas State. I think he'll be plug-and-play on that offense. I really love their coach, Chris Kleiman. I think he's done a really good job, not only at Kansas State, but he obviously was at North Dakota State and was really good there. Um they their schedule is what scares me. Their their win total is seven and a half. They have to go on the road to Texas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and rival Kansas. Um, which yeah, so it's a tough schedule. Um, because of that, and because I'm a little worried about the defense, I'm going to go under the seven and a half. Actually, ooh, I'm going to take over. I'm going to take over because they, like I said, they have a lot of returning. Um, players on offense and then you look at the way they closed the year too i know what happened in that bowl game but like you lose a tcu right and then you go on the road next week or i'm sorry you're at home against oklahoma state who at the time was ranked ninth in the country do you remember that game i don't was it really high scoring 48 oh, okay <laughs> yeah so then they lose to texas in a one-score game 27 to 34 um, and then you end the season by winning 31 to 3, 48 31, 47 27. Uh, three of those teams are against uh, against bowl eligible teams, and then also TCU, you beat them in overtime to win the Big 12, um, who you lost to in the season by 10. I, I think they're gonna be really good. Piggybacking off that, that's why I'll take the over. The other team I think is gonna be a lot better than people think. Is I think it's gonna be a, like a the worst kept, kept secret here in a couple weeks is Texas yep. Tech. They get Oregon in week two. It'll be a very interesting game. Bo Nix on the road. We've seen Bo Nix numbers on the road when he was in the SEC. It was really, really, really bad. Um, Maybe he has progressed fully like we saw last year. But Texas Tech returns all 11 starters on their offense. And that that is an offense that put up a ton of points at the end of last year. Put up 51 uh, against Oklahoma in their last game of the regular season. Put up 42 on Ole Miss. Beat them by double digits. Uh, I think Texas Tech could be a like, – if Texas Tech beats Oregon week two, that's a, that's a team that like could make a TCU-type run in that conference. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that are, are kind of sneaky on this. They had a really good first year under Joey McGuire. Um, eight wins, which is awesome. They did lose a top 10 pick in Tyree Wilson, uh, rushing the passer. I get a little worried. So their their win total seven and a half. They're nine to one to win the conference. Um, yeah. And their schedule is tough, man. They go on the road. They start at Wyoming, which you just never know what you're going to get at Wyoming. Uh, like the we- the weather could be insane. It's like extremely yeah. windy. Um, they have Oregon at home, UCF at home, which are two tough games. And you got at Baylor, at BYU, at Texas, and at Kansas. You know, I'm not sure what Kansas is going to be this year, but. Um, it's plus 118 to take the over on seven and a half for them on FanDuel. So if you love them, that's something that you could take okay. at plus odds. That tells me that people think that they're going to go under. So I'm going to cool. go under on Texas Tech. Well, I so 
I knew that they had the 11 returning stars on offense. It wasn't until right now when I look at this Bill Steele magazine, they only have six home games. Yeah. And two of them are against Oregon and UCF, like which are two pretty good schools. Bingo. Yeah, I would probably take Bingo <laughs> okay. So there's that. Um, okay, we can we can kind of bounce around yeah. here. Um, I don't give a shit about Iowa State. I, I, I think that that's like such a huge one-hit wonder. You brought up Kansas a little bit earlier. It'll be interesting to see what Kansas looks yeah, like. Yeah, Jalen Daniels um, is back, man. He had a lot of hype around back. him last year. They had a, a really good yeah. – I mean, Lance Leopold's one of the best coaches in the in the country. Um, year three yeah. under him, their win total, depending on where he goes, five and a half or six and a half. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I it's really tough to know what you're going to get out of Kansas this year. Do you do you remember when PFF came out with their top fifty coaches, and Lance Leopold was nine before he coached a game? Yeah, they in Kansas? knew something. I just fucking, I was like, that is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. And then lo and behold, you know, he has them, I think at one point, what, last year? They were 5-0. and um, I mean, they, they these are their losses last year when they started out the season. They they started out 5-0. and They had that big game against Duke, who was a nine-win team. Um, they lost to TCU after Jalen Daniels got hurt, right? They lost to him by seven. That was the college game day. Then they went on the road against Oklahoma, and lost. Well, they put up 42 um, then they points. played at Baylor. They lost and by lost. 10. Right. And they also, without Jalen Daniels. Yeah. Like, so you have, like, the defense has to get better. You have that Liberty Bowl where they, they lose 55 to 53. And for whatever reason, on the last play of the game, they run a fucking double reverse pass or something like that and it falls short. Um, you lost to Kansas State. You lost to Texas. You lost to Texas Tech. That's not that bad. Yeah. That's not that bad with what what they had around them. They returned seventeen starters, ten on the offense. I think I think they're going to be one of the most consistently well coached teams yeah, in the conference. I agree. Um, okay. Another one that, that intrigues me is Baylor. Um, they came out the yeah. gate hot under Dave Aranda. You remember they went to well, they went to like the Sugar Bowl or something under him, didn't they? Yeah, they. I think they won, right? They, yeah, they they, and I like their schedule. Um, they get Utah, but mm-hmm. it's at home, and it's at the beginning of the season. Cam Rising like may not be playing the first couple games of the season, which is good for Florida as well. Um, yeah, you get you so basically you open up with Texas State, Utah, oh, Long Island before you host Texas. Um, they lost four stars off the O line, but they did a good job in the portal. Um, they get Blake Shapin back at QB, which I don't know if that's a great thing, but they've got Sawyer Robertson as the backup. Right. Uh, SEC fans might know that name. He was a pretty highly recruited guy that went to Mississippi State. Early 90s country singer. Um, I like their OC. they got a really loaded running back room. Um, Aranda's apparently going back to more of what he ran at LSU, which is a 3-3-5 quarters defense. So um, yeah. I think I like that 6.5 over for Baylor. And they do return a ton. I love that. I think you know what I'll say it right now. I'll lock it in. That is my that is my lock for the over for the Big Twelve. Is is Baylor right. six and a half? I love the fact that you you took like Texas State, Utah, Long Island, Texas at UCF and Texas Tech to start the year. You get five of those six games at home, like you said. Your road games are at UCF, at Cincinnati, at Kansas State, and at TCU. You only go on the road twice. 
before November 11th. And I mean, look, their road schedule is tough, forget. but I mean, if you're talking about a win total, like I'd rather, if you're going to play the tough teams on the road, like accept those as a loss and t- take the rest of that home slate. Like West Virginia is not good. Yeah. They play, they play all of the, the new teams. It looks like UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, uh, I guess they don't play BYU, right. but, um, you know, that's a, anytime you're taking a step up in, in class, like even though the big 12 is not the best conference, yeah. it's, it's, it's still the power five. And so those new teams may struggle in year one. Like I, I, I like the over on Baylor as well. Okay. And last question. Instead of getting into the four new teams. Okay. And we're obviously going to get into who uh, the, the top two teams in Texas and Oklahoma. When we talked to, to Eddie and we talked to um, Kyle Umlong. Uh, but UCF, I think, is clearly the most exciting new team. UCF, Cincy, Houston. Um, BYU. And who am I missing? BYU. They're, like, UCF is the, is the program that seems to be the most worthy of making this jump like to a power five conference. They've got a ton of transfer talent. They've amassed over the past couple of years. They recruit well. They still have Gus Malzahn as a head coach. Like everywhere you look, they've got former like power mm-hmm. five players. John Rice Plumlee last year. He's still there. Um, in year one as a starter in this system. Yeah. I know. Uh, he had 3,600 total yards. He had over a thousand yards rushing and he had 2,500 uh, yards passing. Um, you know, got to cut down on the interceptions. He had eight interceptions, but he, it's, a, it's a kid that put up 25 total touchdowns, right? You return a ton of production at receiver, including Javon Baker, former kid from Bama. Um, you return four of your top five pass catchers. I, my question isn't like, I don't think they win the Big 12. They're going to beat somebody. And you look at that schedule, who do you think that they beat from the old Big 12? Like, that you would you'd be willing to put the most money on it. Um, maybe Oklahoma State at home in November. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, November. look. Uh, also, week two. Yeah, at Boise is an interesting game. I I mean, like, look, their 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 total is six and a half. They have five conference road games. Um, Ooh. I just don't know about betting totals on the new teams. Um. But right. if I had to, if I had to just blindly take one on UCF, I'd probably take the under just because of what I said before, jumping up to a new class. Yeah. Um, that five conference road games, a couple of them are really tough at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, at Kansas State, even out of conference at Boise State. It's not not easy. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd probably take the under here. But man, I, I'm actually excited. I mean, you start looking at this schedule, you're like, man, it's cool to see UCF play Oklahoma and Kansas state and, and Cincinnati, although yeah. they already did that and, and Oklahoma state. And I just think it's a lot more fun than watching them play like teams from the conference USA or the AAC. So. Well, and last thing we'll say about it before we get into our, our, our interview, UCF opens with Kent state. They play at Boise. They have Villanova. You win at least two of those games. You're at Kansas state. If we look up it for some reason, and you're you're a one loss team going into that Oklahoma game, the week before Oklahoma plays Texas. That's a fun fun matchup. That's a fun matchup. I think UCF like I I love what what 
they do and their fan base and all kind of stuff and, and how serious they take football, no matter how much shit they get because it's 2017, there's some really good games on that schedule that are going to be fun to watch. No doubt. Really, really good stuff. Um, all right. Let's get into our interview about my preseason uh, team that I'm hyping up once again. Bernie Sanders meme. I'm once again asking you to jump on board the Texas bandwagon with Steve Sarkeesian in, uh, in year three. Uh, we had an interview with Kyle Umlong, um, who we're probably pronouncing that name uh, Umrong. Am I, I right? I see what you did there, and I like what you did there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right. So this is that interview, and we will. Um, I don't know how to exit. Here's Kyle Umlong. All right, we are now joined by a special guest. Um, we've been trying to get on here for like over a year now. Uh, Texas, I, like, I, I just feel like outside of Matthew McConaughey, I want to call you the minister of culture for Texas, especially like no, on Twitter. You are the minister of culture, minister um, of facts. I've been known. I've been known as also. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna start calling myself that. Um, no one will read it. So. Um, here's what we're gonna do to start. We're gonna let you introduce yourself and say your name, like the first first day of uh, second grade because we have butchered it several times before bringing you on here for this interview um, <laughs> and then we'll get into the actual questions about texas sure hello there i am kyle umlang <laughs> that was perfect That's there you fire. go Clip that. Um, <laughs> all right let's get into it man so texas uh like a lot of hype going into the year right yes. now I, I'm not going to speak for Tyler. I've been on this train since last year because um, I'm a big, big believer in Sark. And I just think that when – I always say this. When Sark has dudes, he is really, really dangerous. And if you close your eyes and you look at this, like, offense especially, any other team that we were describing, if it wasn't Texas, like if it was Georgia, if it was Bama or whatever, and I said, hey, they've got the former number one recruit in the country at quarterback, the highest rate recruit in the history of recruiting services for QB, they have – the second best tight end first round draft pick. They have the best receiver in the Big 12. They have a five star receiver from the portal they got from, from a two time defending national champion. They return all five starters in the offensive line. Oh, and by the way, the third receiver, the guy in the slot, is a former five star receiver as well. If I said that about anyone else, you would assume that is a top three to five team right. in the country. But since it's Texas and they have kind of underachieved at times yes. in the last like decade, People don't believe on it. So right off the bat, just tell us why to, why should we believe in Texas? Uh, I mean, I could say they have they have the players, but they always have the players. But I think the culture going on in that locker room is totally different than under Strong, under Herman. Um, I I think the the team is more of a team uh, under Sark, and it's just growing as people start ma- maturing in his schemes and all that. So. You know, this is his third season. I think he's he's due for a good one. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Um, I like that. So, 2021, Sark's first year. Texas opened four and one, but then lost six straight games for the first time since 1956. Last year, they had 14 returning starters. They went eight and five, but we just talked about a team like TCU, who was basically undefeated. I think they they won one or only lost one game where it was a one score game. Texas was two and five in single score games last year. So they, they lost all five of their games by one possession. What kind of puts them over the top? We've been reading about this whole thing where Quinn Ewers cut the mullet and now he's a totally different kid. Is, is Ewers like, is he going to be a revelation this year? Yes. Or as long as he's, that... he has to stay healthy though. 
no yeah. no uh week two uh shoulder injuries or anything that take him out for four or five weeks he's he's never gonna come back 100 percent uh having to having to play week after week so he's 100 percent right now well when he's 100 percent, he lights up uh the scoreboard so he's so the real deal how, this year how has he looked like in the in like in like the fall and summer because again he's got dudes around him you you said earlier and and not in a rude way i think you're wrong about like texas always has guys and they always recruit at a high level I don't think Texas has had this level of production and and like talent on offense since maybe 2008, 2009. I really, I really yeah, don't. Yeah. I, I since get the they, glory days. Yeah, and they, yeah. and I get that they brought in a ton, a ton of talent every year in the, in, in, in the high school or Texas high school footballs in their backyard. But like even the one position where you kind of get gutted at, which is when you lose a top ten pick at running back, you bring in the number one or two running back in the country at a high school, which is like, that's a, that's a plug and play position for a lot of kids at, at, that are, that are five-star running backs. I, yeah, like, yeah. I guess the other question I would say is give us a player that we don't know from Texas right now that by the end of the year or late November, when we look up and Texas is a one loss team in the, in the playoff condition that, that is going to be a household name. Um, well, you're just talking about running back. I would have to say CJ Baxter, um, He's going to be fighting for for reps straight off the bat. So I know we, I know there's a lot of uh, good running backs. You know we have a Keelan Robinson still there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's I, I guess in seniority wise he's next up, but you know they're all competing uh, for that starting spot. We got Jaden Blue, who's I don't know if he's played or not. Um, so I, I know there's competition there, but I think he will get maybe a start or two. Maybe we'll see. Um, so. Uh, that that's the spot everyone's going to be looking at because obviously Robinson gone. So, right. Yeah. So I, I, whoever, basically whoever is a starting running back will be the new name that everyone Yeah, has. That's fair. I, like I think that. a name to watch too, that we were excited about last year is Isaiah Nayor, who was coming over. Uh, what was oh that? yeah. Washington? From Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. Wyoming. That's what I mean. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he was a one of the top portal kids coming out towards ACL at the yeah. beginning of last year. Never got to see it, so he's fully healthy, from what I understand. Yep. Any early returns on how he's been looking? Uh, I think last I heard, Sark said he looks like he did um, before he got hurt. So that's a good sign. Yeah, so, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna do some damage this year. Um. All right. Follow up question here. Sure. And so we like we look at the schedule. I know that we too. They go to Tuscaloosa. I've been on record. I've said this all offseason. I said last year I thought it was going to be a one-score game, and everyone thought I was crazy, and it was going to be a blowout and all that kind of stuff. But, like, especially with Sark going up against his old old head coach, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Give me a prediction on that game, and then also give me a prediction on the regular season. The Like, the other toughest game on that schedule for Texas is who outside of Alabama? Um, I mean, probably Oklahoma because they, they always are. Um. I mean, not kind of last year, but yeah, not last year. <laughs> I got, I got, I got to see how their how their first few games go to, to worry about them or not. Right. So I guess, I guess they're kind of up in the air. Maybe Kansas State, probably. Okay. What? Well, luckily, what luckily we have them at home. What about week two? Give me a prediction on that. Okay, so um, I've been saying Texas is going eleven one this season. I think their one loss won't beat a Bama. It will be to some random yeah. Big Twelve team like final kickoff our final kick craziness uh refs blew something it'll be it'll be a weird one uh but i think we i think we go to tuscaloosa come back with a victory and we might even set the record for most uh points uh 
law or Alabama's loss by at home under Saban. But for those for those no, who don't I, know, I, I don't for those who don't know, all they have to score is like eight for that to be possible. So <laughs> yeah, it, like, Alabama no, doesn't I, lose at home. I, I think that they lose by double digits. I think yeah, I think that they lose the game because I don't think they have. I don't think they figure out who the quarterback is yet. Right. And I think that. I think that you're going to, I'm going to be there. I'm not sure if you're going to be there. If you are, we'll have to get a drink and all that kind of stuff and then never talk again if we lose. But like <laughs> at the same time, I, I think that that's going to be a game where you look up at the end of the first quarter and it's going to be one of these like, like you're just playing catch up and, and Bama's going to be 14 to three in the first two drives. Yeah. Agreed. I do love the like method that. of already blaming the refs before you even lost the no, game. No, you don't. You do not understand. You don't understand what this final season of the Big Twelve means to everyone left in the the hateful eight. You don't want. You don't know what this means to them. They're gonna be nasty, horrible. Uh, I just know the refs. They're not gonna want to give that last trophy away to Texas. So there, I there might be some shenanigans. Just watch that. for it. I'm calling shenanigans on a couple plays. <laughs> calling it yeah and one will be a game loss one yeah i could definitely see like at baylor getting some real sketchy calls on the road <laughs> yeah. yeah i can see that yeah speaking um, of that are you guys excited about the sec yeah. next year obviously it's yeah. a big move but i think uh i think texas is really they find is there a child in there? <laughs> yes yeah, so, yeah so, <laughs> it, I, I, it's time for me to put him to bed uh, okay all right. Well, uh, I think so. Maybe I'll just get my opinion on the record. I think Texas sure. is much more yeah. set up roster wise to compete right away in the SEC than Oklahoma is right now. Yes, for sure. I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think Oklahoma will be in a good spot uh, when we right. enter the SEC. I think we will be fine, but they might struggle for a little bit. So that's great. Hey, dude. Um, all right, we'll get you out of here because we know we know. Okay. You, no worries. That. But the last question I have for you, sure. okay? Um, it's a two-parter, so hear, hear me out. Yeah. On a scale of Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club to Matthew McConaughey in Failure to Launch, how hot is the seat Sarkisom? It is really hot in Failure to Launch, as we all know. And the other part of it is Texas makes a possible playoff kid. Okay, so 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 uh I'll do the last one first. Texas makes the playoff okay. if um, they uh, go to the Big 12 championship, uh, which is their goal. So I think they, they have a decent shot at doing that. And then the Matthew McConaughey one, I would say um, interstellar because there's it's so cold. He's He is not on any hot seat right now. It's, he, he, it's his it. senior year in high school in the Big 12. He can do whatever he wants. We're going to SEC with him, so he's, he's fine. As long as he doesn't go 5-7 yeah. and seven again. He's, his seat's not even close to being warm this year. Next year's a different story, but Love it. for right now. Well, listen, um, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, we will we will tell everyone where they can find you because I know you got your hands full right now. Um, but we really appreciate it. I have his book, 101 okay. Aggie Facts. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, and we'll plug all that stuff for you. But, yeah, man, we'll have to do it again soon, and, and we appreciate it. Sure, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. We're joined by our second guest with a second last name that we can't pronounce. Um, so I'll let you introduce yourself. We just had Kyle Umlang on, and it's not Umlang, which we did not realize. Um, but that being said, uh, introduce yourself because you've—I've just heard nothing but positive things about you, despite being an, an OU guy. Yeah, well, the, I, I'm sure the half of it's a lie. I'm Eddie Radosovich. I'm working with uh, SoonerScoop.com. Uh, we're with On Three. 
Uh, I do a radio show here in Oklahoma City in the morning, six to ten. It's a uh, it's usually a killing uh, during the morning, uh, trying to get up and get out of bed yeah. and do that kind of stuff. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and obviously with everything that's going on with Oklahoma and moving to the SEC, it's been a you know kind of fun couple weeks here or yeah. a couple years, I guess, but especially over the last couple of weeks, getting out to Nashville and doing all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a it's kind of a pivotal year for Brent Venables, though, down here in Norman. And uh, it's going to be, you know, kind of interesting to see how he navigates these uh, waters of the second year. Yeah, let's start there. Uh, let's Because, like, you know, we just talked about Texas. I hate to say it. I'm like, I, I just just like my relationships and credit score. I just refuse to learn a lesson. Right. Like, I'm, I'm just going to consistently yeah. make bad financial decisions and relationship decisions. Sure. I'm going to do the same thing with Texas again. Don't say sure like that, okay? Um, but, no, so with Oklahoma. Oklahoma I, I understand like, where you're coming from. Okay. So, um, so Oklahoma, though, coming coming into their last year in the Big 12, miserable year, kind of like as you alluded to, not using those words necessarily, but, like, it was a bad first year for Venables. Just all across the board, especially on defense, which is surprising, they were just so bad. I, I looked at this earlier. They played seven games against teams that were bowl eligible. They lost uh, – or they gave up over – 41 points per game in those and, and give up 38 or more than six to seven. It starts with defense, I would assume, where you want to see the most improvement. What is what is the the focus from the media and the fans going into this year for year two under under Venables? Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of insane. Oklahoma's been so bad defensively for the last five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's even going all the way back to the Baker Mayfield teams, the Kyler Murray teams, the Jalen Hurts teams that, you know, historically were great offenses and they yeah. were just able to find a way to outscore guys. And, you know, you entered this first year or the, la- the first year last year. And I think that there was a lot of people that thought that Brent Venables, just his sheer presence on the sidelines was going to help a lot. And I think that they kind of got exposed to, uh, you know, poor recruiting on one certain uh, aspect of it. And then the other side of it, they just didn't have enough guys. So, uh, you know, they went out, they got some guys in the transfer portal. They, you know, specifically on the defensive line that they think are going to come in and be able to uh, contribute and help. Uh, you know, Rondell Bothrow, a kid from uh, Wake Forest. Trace Ford, a guy from Oklahoma State. Yeah. Uh, you know, PJ Adebore, another guy that was a five-star guy that they were able to hold on to. And uh, so, you know, the, the games last year were just so weird because yeah. they lo- they lose four games by three points. They, you know, obviously got their ass kicked in Fort Worth. They got their ass kicked in the Cotton Bowl without mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel. Uh, but they were close in a lot of games. And I think that they you 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 would think that they're going to make incremental, uh, you know, steps this year. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, they got to be able to go out and do it. So it was just a really weird year. I mean, every time that it seemed like things were going in a positive direction, they weren't able to get off the field on the third and 18 right. or they weren't able to get off the field in the fourth quarter, especially. So, uh, you know, I think that they feel like they can get better defensively, but we're talking about a team that is coming from the triple digits total yeah. defense wise. And, you know, I, the steps that they have to make are drastic, but it does feel like, and, and especially, I think there's a lot of Oklahoma fans that fall back on the idea that, the resume that Brent has, the resume that Todd Bates has, the resume that guys on the defensive side of the football, they're too good of coaches not to put out better defenses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they need to be able to go get a DeSalle McCulloch going, an uh, All-American guy coming in from Indiana. They've, they've, they have better talent. The, the, the key phrase in all of Oklahoma's preseason camp has been competitive depth. Mm-hmm. And I, we're going to hear it for the next 25 days. It's kind of nauseating, but at the same time, there is some truth to it. They feel like they have a lot more depth right now than what they had a year ago. And uh, then there's some guys coming back from last year's team, like Danny Sussman, the Big 12 and tackles last year. Uh, he's a good linebacker, and I think that if they can 
just make those steps, get guys to not be all Americans, not be yeah. first team, all big 12 guys, but just be solid contributors. They should take that step in the right direction. Jacob Lacey, Devon Sears, other guys that uh, are going to come in and add depth to the defensive line. And then they have a good collection of guys that are coming back. Uh, you know, DeJon Terry is another guy from Tennessee that they just simply haven't had that type of right. size on the defensive line, believe it or not. And that it's hard to believe for Oklahoma not to have those guys. So uh, there's positives there. But, you know, I, I think that there's only so much talking that you can do right now. They're going to have to go do it on the, you know, 12 Saturdays in fall for people to, you know, ultimately start truly believing in what Brent Venables is doing. And right. don't get me wrong. There's every person out here wants to see him succeed and be good because everybody does love the guy. But, uh, you know, six and seven for Oklahoma fans, there weren't a lot of people that knew kind of how to handle things a year ago. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, obviously the offense is especially when Gabriel was healthy last year was really good when he was in there and starting they put up 37 points a game 510 yards a game um but is there a there's part of me that feels like Jeff Lebby's offense doesn't really fit what Venables wants to do on defense because of just yeah. the, the pace do you think that that's kind of an issue too that may have to be worked out this year to figure out if that's going to make sense going forward after year two yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that it's it's another kind of one of those weird situations because Jeff Lebby is an Oklahoma guy. He went to the University of Oklahoma. He kind of gets uh, what it means to coach here. He gets what, you know, the fan base, you know, as crazy as they may be sometimes, kind of what they demand. And there were times last year, and especially in the fourth quarter in Lubbock, in the fourth quarter in Morgantown, uh, you know, games that they probably could have held on to the ball. But all of a sudden you're looking up and they're going, you know, they're having a minute drives that they yeah. end up punting. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about balancing everything. There's been a lot of talk about efficiency on both sides of the football. And I think that, you know, more than anything, they just got to be better offensively. I, I know that's kind of simple, but at the same time, they were able to run the ball pretty well last year, and they're having to replace two tackles, which they feel pretty confident about uh, with Tyler Guyton, who could end up being kind of the next big thing at Oklahoma on the offensive line, as well as Walter Rouse that they got out of the transfer portal. So, uh, yeah, I, they have to slow down at certain points. Uh, you can't just run defenses out there, but then that gets back into the competitive balance thing where, or the competitive depth thing where, uh, you know, they had so many guys that were playing over 100 snaps a game last year yeah. that, you know, it's not that big of a deal in week two, week three, but you start getting into week eight, week nine, week 10, and all of a sudden you're running guys out there that have played 100 snaps a game every year or every week, and they just weren't able to get off the field. So, uh, yeah, they I, I think that that was something that they talked about quite a bit, and especially when they were going through spells last year offensively, uh, that they needed to slow down. I think that they would probably tell you they just got to pick up more first downs. They were awful in short yardage situations some at some point last year, especially on the back end of the schedule, which was kind of weird. Uh, but, you know, offensively, you look at what they were able to do in Lubbock. You look at what they were able to do in the Cheez-It Bowl against a really good Florida State defense. Mm -hmm. I think that they feel like they should be pretty good offensively. Uh, the, the wide receiver position is a little bit of a question mark. Jalil Farouk's coming back. Uh, but you're having to replace Marvin Mims, who did a lot for them offensively. They love Gavin Freeman. He was a walk-on turned scholarship player from, uh, you know, kind of the metro area in Oklahoma City. And then uh, Drake Stoops, who feels like he's back for, like, ninth year in Norman. So uh, they have a bunch of guys at the wide receivers yeah. position. It's just who's going to step up and be that guy. Jaden Gibson was another guy that a highly touted kid coming out of high school didn't really see the field a whole lot last year. Nick Anderson's uh, little brother of uh, Rodney Anderson. Yeah, He should play a lot. You just don't know. Brennan Thompson, another guy that you don't know a whole lot about coming in from Texas. Andrell Anthony coming in from Michigan. So you have a bunch of names. 
I couldn't tell you who's going to be that guy, though, that's going to be behind Jaleel Farouk. I mean, I will tell you this. I hope it's anybody but Brennan, because we've said this a lot on the show. It's the least favorite name, I think, in the entire English language. It's just way too many ends. It sounds like you're starting a car. So I, I'm not anything against that guy, but I, like, I'm not pulling for Brennan. Um, <laughs> the one person that you did not bring up, which I'm kind of shocked, but also probably tells me where you guys are at with Dylan Gabriel, is Jackson Arnold. And, and you talk about a kid that's like a yeah. – he's going to have the, the keys that, you know, like turned over to him probably going into next year, maybe in the SEC. Like he's going to be the guy at some point. But everyone knows that like the backup quarterback is always the fan's favorite player, right? And you talk about what happened a couple of years ago with Spencer Rattler – versus Caleb Williams and the Texas game, all that kind of stuff. Like, are fans clamoring for, for Jackson Arnold? Like, would he be a good fit in this offense with, with Levy? And, like, how? I mean, like, if you start out the season bad, like, how, where's the leash on Gabriel, and what is the optimism of, of Arnold coming in and playing? Yeah, and I think that that's kind of like the million-dollar question around here is how long that leash is going to be. They love Dylan Gabriel. Uh, yeah. Jeff Levy loves Dylan Gabriel. I think that when you look at Dylan Gabriel and what he's been able to do, you know, I I was I almost fell over the other uh, day at the local media day when Lincoln Rod or uh, Lincoln Rod. Now they're really good. <laughs> uh, when Jeff Levy, when when Jeff Levy mentioned that he's going to be a top ten quarterback, possibly all you know in uh, passing yards, like yeah. he has so much experience. He's played a lot of football, but then you do have this guy in Jackson Arnold that you know he ran a very similar offense to what Jeff Levy does. Then Denton Geyer is one of the uh, kind of the powerhouses in the DFW area and one of the biggest classifications in the state. Uh, he's going to be the guy for right. the next three years. It's, it's a little bit awkward. And then you have also on the back of your minds, like like you said, Chris, like you have an Oklahoma fan base that remembers how good Caleb Williams was and what he was able to do when he came in and finally yeah. got that opportunity against Texas. Uh, it, it would be very uncomfortable. I don't think that there's going to be as much venom uh, for Dylan Gabriel as maybe as there was for Spencer Rattler. Rattler just wasn't very well liked among, among his classmates. He was likable. cocky. Yeah, and I, I think that he's he's definitely matured. Like, I yeah. saw him out uh, in Nashville right. last week, and you can tell. Like, he's he's matured a little bit, uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, he came in with uh, he came in with a bad rap and didn't yeah. really help himself right. uh, when he was in Norman. So, uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, I, I do think, though, that Dylan is very serviceable. And you look at Oklahoma's uh, schedule, it's, you know, quote-unquote, very easy. Yeah, uh, they should be able to. I, the expectation is for them to go win nine or ten games this year. Right. I know the over under right now in Vegas is nine and a half, and I think that there's a lot of people if they look up at the end of the season and all of a sudden they're fighting to get to ten, it kind of starts getting a little bit. You you start having to have those conversations that I think a lot of people don't want to have right now about yeah. Brent Venables and this entire staff. So, uh, you know, they got to get that offensive line to kind of get figured out. They have some talent up there. If you can just give him time, he played really well in the uh, cheese bowl against Florida state. And yeah. that was against a, uh, and that was with an offensive line that was kind of pieced together with all the guys that had left for the draft. So um, it's going to be kind of interesting. Like this is the yeah. Oklahoma has been so good offensively for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Uh, you know, last year you, you ask an Oklahoma fan if they were any good. And I think they would kind of roll your eye, their eyes at you. But in reality, they were still a top 25 offense in the country, which is, it's just almost kind of like, stupid to say that like they weren't very good when at times they weren't very good I, right. I it, it's hard it's hard to explain no I think real quick Tyler like you made a really good point the best way to describe that whole season is, is weird like you you start yeah. the season three and three in your first six games you end the season three and three in your in your last six regular season games three and four if you talk about the bowl game 
but your first three losses were were by an average of 29 points per game. And then your last four total losses were by 12 total points. Like you said, you still end up in the season with, I mean, that defense is atrocious. It, it's, it's like below, yeah. it's over 100 in almost every single statistical category of significance. And then you also talk about the fact that like somehow they still had more wins than losses against ranked opponents. It, it is a very weird thing. Tyler, you can go ahead. Who's a, a player that maybe people and Norman are familiar with, but maybe America is not familiar with on the team now, because obviously Brent, he's, he's done a good job recruiting uh, both in the portal and in high school. So there's, there's going to be a lot of new players on, especially on defense. Uh, what's a name that maybe people outside of Oklahoma don't know about that you think will come onto the scene uh, for, for Oklahoma this year? There's a lot of high. I'll give you one on each side of the ball. Billy Bowman at safety. He just was hurt a lot last year. Uh, he kind of ran into the injury bug a little bit. They think he's going to be one of the next, you know, really, really strong safeties at Oklahoma. Uh, came out of the Denton uh, area, Denton Ryan down in uh, the Dallas mm-hmm. area that, uh, you know, played high level of high school football. He's been a really good player for Oklahoma, but I think that a lot of people expect him to kind of take that next step this year and uh, and move into kind of that solidifying the the back end for Oklahoma, which, you know, like you guys have said, and it's been covered and it's been wrote about, they have not been good defensively. Right. Uh, he would, I, I would start there. Uh, you know, I think that there's somebody on the offensive side of the ball that, you know, anytime that we have a press conference with uh, Brent Venables, his name comes up. It's Gavin Freeman. Uh, you know, he, he fits every like checkbox of why fans would love him. He's a walk on. He's a, he's a, uh, uh, his dad played at Oklahoma. Uh, he was a tight end, Jason Freeman back in the late nineties. Uh, he's, he just kind of is one of those guys that everybody wants to cheer for. I'll, I'll just say it. Drop my phone. He's a small white. He's a small white wide receiver. I knew that like, was coming. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah, like he, he kind of. He kind of fits that bill, but yeah. I think that they believe that he could end up being one of those guys that was a real steal. He was his only offer out of high school was the Texas Tech, and uh, Joe McGuire staff actually came out and basically dropped him like two nights before signing day or during the early signing period, and uh, you know basically told him he should go look at other places. And Oklahoma uh, kind of snapped him up. Emmett Jones all of a sudden comes into Oklahoma and. They kind of uh, have reunited. So yeah. uh, he th- those are two guys that I think that are ready to make that next step. Uh, you know, I think from like a national standpoint, I think there's a lot of people that know Danny Stutzman's name, but aren't like truly familiar. Uh, there's a lot of uh, feeling that he could end up being one of the next really, really, really good linebackers under Brent Venables. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that whole group comes together with him and Jaron Kanak, who, you know, his – uh, recruitment was, you know, well cataloged as far as the way that he was committed to Clemson and then comes over with Brent, yeah. uh, Kobe McKenzie. And then, you know, Connor Nears, another name too, that, uh, he's a kid from D2 ball. He was an all American coming down from Ferris state that I think he's really name. pushing to maybe start. Yeah. Oh, and he's a, he's a very D2 guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but he, he kind of fits that bill of what Brent wants. They are trying to find football players mm-hmm. and not so much guys that have a bunch of stars next to their name. And obviously, uh, you know, the stars next to your name matters greatly, especially right. when you're making the move into the SEC and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I, they feel I, there's, a, there's a, I think, a, a quiet confidence right now within the program about where they could be and where they're going. And, you know, I think last year was as, as tough as it was for Oklahoma fans to swallow they had to kind of put that culture into place. And yeah. uh, I think that there's a belief that, you know, there was, there had been, a, they'd gotten away with a lot of stuff 
over, you know, 17, 18, 19, even 20 uh, before uh, Lincoln Riley left that they just got away with because they were so damn good offensively. Right. They could go out and, you know, outscore everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and they also had to play in like sugar bowls where the other teams like didn't care to be there, you know? So they got away sure. like 2013. Sure. Like, it's like, whatever. Like I, I'm not mad <laughs> about it still. So it's, it's a, it's a whole thing. All right, let's get you out of here. Cause I know you said you were at your uncle's 70th birthday. Um, no, that last good. question is a two-parter here. And we really appreciate it. Uh, you coming on, man. This has been great. So two questions. One is going to be for me personally, and I, you better answer the right way or I'll never talk to you again. And the other one is just a, just a question of the OU fan base. One, explain to everyone why Alabama and Oklahoma can claim Jalen Hurts. And then two, explain to, like, like as an OU guy coming to the SEC, obviously it would be awesome to beat Bama, them in year one or, or Georgia or whatever. But from what you've seen just solely on social media with SEC fans, what team do you, like, from a petty standpoint, want to beat the most in year one? <laughs> Ooh, okay. Uh, all right, well, I'm really nervous about answering the Jalen Hurts thing. All right, you know what? I, I like that. Think- so just don't fucking say it if you're going to say no. I just think you're kind of a fucking loser if you really care. <laughs> yes! Like, what school it's he went also to. also true! Yes, thank okay. you. Like, totally I think that that like, but that's, but that is the thing that I love about college football because right. you have people in Norman or Tuscaloosa that would like try to slit your throat if you said the wrong thing. Yeah, well, like, so that's the that's the passion. No, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like you're right. Like, like, like I'm just saying this repeatedly because the people that were most upset about it were Georgia fans. They were like, <laughs> like yeah. Jalen. It was such a weird thing because it was like, bro, you guys just won back to back natties. And this is like, like, I don't know a single OU and Bama fan that, uh, that argued over it at all. Like, at all. It was like, everyone's happy for Jalen Hurts is a great kid. I completely agree with you. So, I'm not a fucking loser, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and I like Jalen. He was, his whole time in uh, Norma was kind of weird. Like, uh-huh. I, I don't think, I think that there was like the sense of, uh, he looked over the Oklahoma media quite a bit. Like, I asked oh, really? him, uh, he, he went on this like big diatribe about they were just focused on winning each week and so like there was one week that i asked him if he preferred winning to losing and it blew up and was on sports center like i ended up looking like an idiot but it, you had to know that like he said that he wanted to win and so like i was just being a smart ass right and uh i liked him though he was a good guy yeah uh, the other part of your question i would probably say i mean bama obviously oh. I, I know that like tennessee tennessee obviously is uh is a big That's deal just because of the josh heupel connection uh, that whole thing with him is kind of weird because him mm-hmm. and Bob don't talk anymore. Uh, but, you know, he's always going to kind of, quote, unquote, be a son of Oklahoma, right. kind of resurrecting the program in 99 and 2000 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, like, I think at least for everybody in Norman for the home schedule, it's Alabama. Okay. Uh, you know, I think that there's still some hurt feelings about 2003 and the way that that went down in uh, the Sugar Bowl down in uh, New Orleans. Like, you ask any Oklahoma fan about – LSU fans and yeah. you usually get a pretty interesting, inter- uh, you know, pretty interesting answer. That's fair. Okay. Hold on. Let me, let me recover this. We're going to get you out of here. This is the last one. You can just be, you say yes or no. You're good. And then, and then, and then we'll get you out of here. But I got into this argument this morning in the, before 8am, I was just already projecting wildly onto everyone on, on my Twitter. And it wasn't even fucking breakfast time yet because the U S women's national team had lost. And, and then on top of that, Oh, uh, but there he is. And then on, on top of that, um, I somehow got involved in an argument about 2004 Auburn. Just very simple yes or no. 
would 2004 Oklahoma have beaten 2004 Auburn? Obviously. Thank you. That's Eddie. Okay. Eddie, every, announce your name one more time so we know how to announce it. Tell her or pronounce it. Tell her where they can find you. This has been awesome. And we'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Eddie Radosevich. I've worked with uh, Soonerscoop.com on three and then uh, do a morning show here in uh, Oklahoma City on the franchise. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited about this. The, the whole, like, move is kind of – it's obviously great for Oklahoma. I'm excited about it just because everybody's moving out that way. But, you know, there is a part of me that, like, just having grown up in Oklahoma City, being a quote-unquote Big 12 guy yeah. with all the new guys coming in, like Arizona schools and Utah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to miss it, but – I'll be reminded of that when I'm standing in the middle of the Grove or, you know, yeah. the Bayou yeah. on a Saturday night, wherever. <laughs> yeah. Tuscaloosa, Fine. Athens, wherever. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate awesome, it, guys. Man. Of course, dude. We'll, have to, we'll do it again soon, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Absolutely. Anytime. Bye.